Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 6 and 7 on what the five things Noah was busy doing before the flood, and the two things the world was busy doing before the flood, and the four stages of cancer in the world before the flood. Now you can download this message for free at friendshipwithgod.org, also available on iTunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast and sermonaudio.com. Now, are you enjoying Friendship with God with Tom Cantor as you're driving or downloading these messages for free on the go? Well, you can contact Tom Cantor and let him know how much you enjoy Friendship with God and this Bible teaching radio program. You can send him an email at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Tom, T-O-M, and Cantor, C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor, one word, at friendshipwithgod.org. .org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org, or you can write him at P.O. Box 711-330. That's P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. So again, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can call us for more information at 800 800- Two four seven thirty fifty one. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher. The man writeth his text messages, so is he. Or as a man looketh on websites, so is he. Then we come now to verse 18, where it speaks here for the first time, it talks about a covenant. We remember now those seven very important words from verses that we talked about, verses 13 and 14, I will destroy, make thee an ark. And just as those words showed us that God always has his salvation there, in the same way that God is faithful to, in the temptation, make a way of escape, God is also faithful that in the judgment, he will make a way of escape, which is the salvation. So that we have this, I will destroy, make thee an ark. And so now in verse 17, he says, I do bring a flood. But in verse 18, bring these together, but with thee will I establish my covenant. See, same pattern. I do bring a flood, but with thee will I establish my covenant. This brings us now to the first mention in the Bible of this word covenant. I'm going to ask you a question now. What in your mind is a synonym? That's not something you put on toast with sugar. It's what's the synonym for the word covenant? Okay, contract. Well, some promise. Promise. What? Agreement. Okay, contract, agreement. Okay, very good. Contract, agreement, promise. Okay, contract and agreement I'm thinking of, especially. Because when you think of the word covenant... As a contract or an agreement, that's a very, very contemporary definition of the word covenant. It's a contract. About 19 years ago, we as a company, Scanavides, agreed in principle to take over the manufacturing from a company called Carter Wallace of their pregnancy test called First Response. We had never made a pregnancy test before. We didn't have any management. We didn't have any technology. We didn't have any building, and we didn't have any employees to do it. Apart from that, we were the first choice. (laughs) And so they were a little concerned. And at that time, it was the second largest pregnancy test. Today, praise God, it's the largest selling pregnancy test. 
And so they had lots of concerns, and we had lots of concerns. How do you address concerns from your company? You put together a contract. So we started on the contract crafting process. It was quite a process. And it went on for six months. It was very painful. Intense. Uh, back and forth. And we had meetings during this time with different members of different groups in their company. We had meetings and so that the contract could contain the concerns of the research group. And then we had meetings uh, so that the contract could contain the concerns of the environmental impact group. Of course, with the group of manufacturing, and then there was the group of quality control, and then there was the group of marketing, and the group of legal, and the executive group, and so forth. It was many, many groups. And it was intense, and we went back and forth. It was long meetings and flying out back and forth. And it wasn't just for the contract after you got started. We booked over 300 nights for them to stay in because the stuff was going back and forth. What were we discussing? Pricing and changes in pricing, especially whether there would be the product would be manufactured in the U.S. or whether it would be manufactured not in the U.S., i.e. Mexico, and how the lower-cost offshore manufacturing would be shared among us and what processes and manufacturing equipment would and would not be used or allowed to be used, and how the savings from the new lower cost new processes and manufacturing equipment would be shared, and who would pay for the new equipment and the qualification of the equipment and the processes and so forth, what raw materials would and would not be used, and how those new raw materials would be qualified, and how the savings from the lower cost raw materials would be shared, what subcontractors were allowed and not allowed to be used, and how newer, lower price subcontractors would be qualified, and how we would share the savings, who would pay for non-conforming product, who would determine if it was a non-conforming product, what would the criteria be, who should indemnify who, who would pay for legal costs if there was a lawsuit for liability or patent infringement, who would store the amount of buffer stocks of finished product, how much buffer stocks of finished product and raw materials would be stored, what the payment terms would be, what the late payment penalties would be, what kind of annual cost report which we would supply, which is over 100 pages per year, and uh, what kind of annual marketing report they would provide to us, and how we're going to make changes in this contract, and what happens if either company is taken over by another company, which happened in their case, and when there were differences in the contract, that which state laws would govern, and how disputes would be settled by lawsuits or arbitrations, and there were terms for arbitrations. And on and on it went, and it went on for days, and we were spending so much time I don't like to use the word arguing, but that's about what it boiled down to. Arguing over words such as will and shall, or should it be must or use best efforts for, you know, all those kind of things. And this went back and forth, and it was a process that went on for six intense months. As I told you, we were flying back and forth, New Jersey, California. Believe me, I told them, I said, the U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights was done with much less trouble. <laughs> and it's lasted 200 years. But we were finished with our 50-page document. It was our contract. And even though Carter Wallace doesn't exist today, that part of the division was bought by Church and Dwight. And the contract still governs today. It still is what we used since for 19 years. Hundreds of millions of dollars have flowed, have been governed by that contract. It's still in use. 
But when it was finished, we were very pleased with the contract, more or less, because the contract was the product of both parties, both companies. And it was signed 19 years ago, and it's still our contract. It's not their contract, it's our contract together. That's a contemporary definition of the word contract or agreement. It's created or modified or changed, sometimes it's a draft put forward, by both parties, with the participation of both parties. As a matter of fact, in the contract, it actually says that, that both parties participated in the creation of this contract. But certain words in verse 18 tell you that God's contracts are not that way. And those words are, I establish my contract. The word establish is a Hebrew word that means to stand up, get up, rise up. So in other words, God is saying here, I will cause to stand up my covenant. So the covenant that God makes with man have no input from man. They have no input from man. And that's the difference between the contemporary view of a covenant or a contract and God's covenants. It is an agreement because most of the time it does involve man. If there is an if clause, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. We'll return with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor on friendship with God in just one moment. Now, our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, is not just a teacher, pastor, scientist, CEO, and 2009 Whistleblower of the Year award recipient winner. He is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, a Jewish evangelism ministry that has reached millions of lost Jewish people around the world, from the U.S. to South America to Israel, and we've reached them with the gospel and Jewish materials so that they, too, might be saved. Tom Cantor is a Jewish born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to reach other Tom Cantors that need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. We do that through free gospel gifts and messages that we offer for free. You can help us by supporting this Bible teaching radio program by calling us at 800-247-3051-800-247-3051. He knows he's going to have to give an account to God. That's what it means, fears God. He's under the eye of God. As a contract or an agreement, that's a very, very contemporary definition of the word covenant, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, from John 3.16. But man has had no input on the crafting of this contract. That's why the word promise is also a good word as well, but it's not just a promise, but it's There is a contract, two-party, oftentimes involved on the conditional covenants. So that's why God is referring in the Bible to my covenant. In Genesis 6.18, he calls it my covenant. And that's what God called it just before the flood in Genesis 9.9. And I, behold, I establish my covenant. Same words he repeats. In Genesis 9.11, he said, and I will establish my covenant. And when he came to, comes to Abraham in Genesis 17:2, he says, "And I will make my covenant." And then when he says in Genesis 17:4, he emphasizes again to Abraham, he said, "As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee." In Genesis 17:7, he says, "And I will establish my covenant between me and thee." See, there is a two-party in there, but it's God's covenant. 
He commands him in Genesis 17, 9, Abraham, thou shalt keep my covenant. In Genesis 17, 10, he says, this is my covenant which you shall keep. Genesis 17, 13, and my covenant shall be in your flesh. Speaking of circumcision, my covenant shall be in your flesh. And when he goes then and, and speaks about the breaking, he says in Genesis 17, 14, he hath broken my covenant. Genesis 17, 21, when he talks about Isaac, he says, my covenant will I establish with Isaac. And it says when we come in uh, Exodus 2.24, when God hears the groaning of the children of Israel, he says in Exodus 2.24, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. So God's covenants, the first important point here, is God's covenants are not man-crafted. They are not man's covenants. When a man says that he thinks that God will accept his good works to get into heaven, that is man's covenant. That's a covenant that has man's input, and God's covenants do not have any input from man. So when many men appear before the Lord Jesus Christ in the final judgment and say what it says, you might want to turn to it, Matthew 7, 22, where it says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Those words are all relying on man's covenants. And all those covenants of men read like this. My covenant with God is that if I prophesy in Jesus' name, I will get into heaven. See? There's another one. My covenant with God is that if I cast out devils in the name of Jesus, then I will get into heaven. Another one reads, My covenant with God is that if I do many wonderful works in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then I will get into heaven. All of those covenants started with the words that I just said, started with the words, my covenant with God is. And all those covenants are man's covenants, not God's covenants. And God never asked man for his input in this area. He never asked for his input in this area. God does not want man's input for God's covenants. God does not need man's input for his covenants because of what he says he knows about man in John 2.25, where it says, And he needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So because he knew what was in man, he didn't need any man's advice. He knows that in man there are essential points in which man and God do not naturally agree. For example, he knows that in man, that man really believes what we just quoted in Matthew 7, 14 about his works. God knows that man really does believe. He knows that man really does sincerely believe that what he does as good works are wonderful works. He calls them wonderful works. For man, they are wonderful works. And the Lord Jesus Christ really knows that man believes that those are wonderful works. 
But God doesn't have exactly the same opinion of what man calls wonderful works. And God gives his opinion of those quote-unquote wonderful works in Isaiah 64, 6, where it says, all our righteousnesses, which is the good works, the wonderful works, all of our wonderful works, in other words, you could say, are as filthy rags. I'm sorry to say what the Hebrew meaning words here are, but filthy rags in the Hebrew means used menstrual rags. So God doesn't have exactly the same opinion. So the very first important point about God's covenants is that they are crafted and created with no input from man, not like the contemporary contracts, as I was mentioning. Okay, now, this point of them being created solely by God with no input from man can also be seen in the Hebrew word for covenant, which is berith. Okay? Now, the word berith is derived from the second word in the Bible. is the word bara, which means create. So when you see the word covenant, you know it means berith, Think back to create. In the beginning, God created. That's the derivation of the covenant comes from that word. Create or bara. And think of creation. And think of how God's creation in Genesis 1 and 2 took counsel from no one. And think of how in his creation, God certainly didn't ask man for any input on how the creation should be. He asked man to name the animals, and after that, he didn't ask him to do anything more. That was enough. But when you see God in his creation in Genesis 1 and 2, you see God creating out of nothing, and that's God's creation. And he created it, he did his creation according to what it says in Ephesians 1.11, because he was doing the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. In other words, just himself. He created with just the counsel of himself, just his own will. That's the way God's covenants are. They're created by God after the counsel of his own will. So God's covenants are really proclamations. They're really announcements. God is proclaiming. God is announcing this is the way it is. That's what God is doing here. It's not like we see in Isaiah 1, where he says, now come now, let's make this agreement together. That's not the way it is. And so God's new covenant is proclaimed in John 3.16. That's what really a proclamation of the new covenant. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the announcement of the new covenant. That's his covenant where he states, he proclaims, he announces, I gave my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. Whoever believes into him, whoever believes into him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's why the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is called in Hebrews 13, 20, the blood of the everlasting covenant. The blood of the everlasting covenant. So it's irrelevant if anyone agrees or doesn't agree with God's covenant, because it's not open for discussion. It's not open for debate. It's not open for modification. It's God's sovereign announcement, because it's God's covenant. As he said, it's just like he was saying in Psalm 2, when he said, yet have I set my king 
upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree, God says. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And because God's covenant, then he then goes on to tell man, look, to advise man, I just advise you, drop any interest that you have in discussing, in debating, or modifying what God has announced in his covenant. And that's why the end of Psalm 2 says, Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled But a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. God says that for those who have a particular prejudice against the Lord Jesus Christ, it's best to drop it, forget it, and instead just serve him, just love him, just worship him. Because as far as God's concerned with his covenant, he makes it very clear in Acts 4.12 when he said, neither is there salvation in any other For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And as far as there being any other God beside the Lord Jesus Christ, God says, I'll save you the time, I'll save you the trouble of any effort to look for another God. And he says in Isaiah 44, 8, Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. (laughs) That's funny. So God says, I did the search for you. My report to you is there's no other God. So if you have a prejudice against the Lord Jesus Christ, sorry, but because there's no other option. We've learned this morning that God's covenants are not worked out together with man. And we see here that in the case with Noah, we do not see anywhere in Genesis uh, chapter 6, of God saying to Noah, now come on now, Noah, let's just you and I sit down together and work out how we're going to save the earth and how anybody can be saved. God did not ask Noah and if he and Noah could come to agreeable terms. And we see God just announcing his, to Noah what he calls his covenant. And as Noah meditated on that fact, and he would walk away And after God talked to him, he would, with his thoughts, he would say to himself, you know, I had nothing to do with that. I had nothing to do with making the terms of that covenant. That's not our covenant. That's not our covenant in the sense that God and I worked it out together. That's God's covenant. That's not my covenant. That's God's covenant. There's none of my input in this covenant. And whether this covenant stands or falls because of its construction has nothing to do with me because I had nothing to do with its construction. And this covenant will stand or fall because of God. Because it all came from God. If I do what I'm called to do by this covenant, then I'll be safe because it's God's covenant. The more Noah rehearsed that in his mind, those facts, the more secure Noah felt as he kept saying, this is God's covenant. Just like he kept saying it, my covenant, God's covenant. And the same is true for us today. If we think of the new covenant exactly the same way that Noah thought, and we go away and we say to ourselves, I had nothing to do with making the terms of this new covenant, that Christ would die for my sins, that that would be enough to get me into heaven. It's not our covenant between me and God. I had nothing to do. We didn't work it out together. It's God's covenant. It's not my covenant. There's none of my input in this new covenant. And whether this new covenant stands or falls has nothing to do with me by its construction because I had nothing to do with its construction. 
It'll stand or fall because of God. And the more we do that and rehearse that in our mind, just like Noah did, the more secure we will feel in the fact that this is God's covenant. And our confidence in the new covenant is derived from this is all of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much this morning for your covenant, your great covenant. Thank you for the proclamation of it, the announcement of it, the fact that it's all from you, that it is enough that our Lord Jesus, that he died, he's your son, and he died for our sins. And we thank you for that truth this morning, and we rest on that and have confidence because it's of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful Bible study from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Just a reminder, if you would like to download this message for free, you can do so on our website, friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, also available on iTunes.com and SermonAudio.com. All there for free listening and free download, but it's there with your support, and we need you to become a monthly supporter if you can. You can call us at 800-247-3051. Now, we also have an opportunity for you to be a full-time missionary working for Israel Restoration Ministries in the Southern California area. We have two open positions, one in San Diego and one in Los Angeles. If you'd like to be a full-time missionary working for Israel Restoration Ministries, you can call us at our 800 number. You can also call us on the 800 number if you'd like to be a volunteer with Israel Restoration Ministries. As a volunteer missionary, you'll bring the gospel to lost Jewish people right in the city where you live, and we can help you to do that with the materials that we have that are geared towards Jewish evangelism. So call us for a full-time position or volunteer position at 800 247 3051-800-247-3051 and join Israel Restoration Ministries, 800-247-3051 or call us to donate. Again, 800-247-3051.